there's a number of barriers for doctors. So you say, okay, we understand why some of the mainstream medical associations are sucking up to industry because they're being sponsored by Big Pharma, for example. But why aren't individual doctors speaking up? We found that there were 11 people on a committee, of whom six were industry funded, especially the dairy industry, but also eggs and meat. And so we filed a lawsuit against the USDA at that time. Simply to say, hey, you're nice people, but you cannot be letting industry dictate what people eat. Big food watched what happened to big tobacco, and they said that will never happen to us. And so far they're right. They have fought with every dollar, with every lobbyist, with every advertisement, with every lie that they could possibly gather together to make sure that they didn't follow in the footsteps of big tobacco. That's what big food has done. Thank you so much for uh, doing this interview. It's my I really, really appreciate it. Is veganism a dirty word in your kind of medical setting? No, vegan is a very important term because it describes no animal foods, meat, fish, values, or dairy products, but it's not inclusive of a health-promoting diet. You can have a vegan diet that's very unhealthy. For example, Coca-Cola or any soda, I should say soda pop, excuse me, could be a, a vegan food, but it doesn't make it healthy. French fries might be vegan, but they're not going to be healthy. So just being vegan isn't enough. Veganism is the start. It's not the end. You then have to adopt a health-promoting diet. So one of the dangers with the term veganism is people think, well, if it's vegan, it must therefore be healthy. They'll say that veganism is morally, ethically, and spiritually of importance. And I would argue that, yes, being a vegan might help you get into heaven by being a better person, but it won't delay how quickly you go there unless you also adopt a health-promoting diet, which means an SOS-free diet. As a medical doctor, though, do you think uh, talking about the ethical and environmental issues holds your mission back? At all? Does, does that make sense? Well, I don't. I, I mean, do you think that talking about moral, ethical, and spiritual issues um, with regard to anything are important issues to human beings and should be addressed? Now, we may disagree on them. Like, I, I don't necessarily agree with somebody else's interpretation of their moral, ethical, or spiritual issues. And it's not something that can be reduced to science, like the diet and lifestyle issues can. So, at the True North Health Center, for example, we don't pretend to have an answer in what flavor of religion to believe, how to get into heaven, or what you are, should be are you thinking. Are veganism a uh, religion? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> veganism, to me, is just a philosophical, uh, uh, based uh, system that eliminates animal foods because of moral, ethical, and spiritual-based reasons. I tend to focus, and we at the True North Health Center focus on the health aspects of healthful living, which just so happens to also include an exclusively plant food diet free from sugar, oil, and salt. Um, the fact that um, it is beneficial on a moral, ethical, and spiritual isn't the driving force or the principle upon which we're, we're making it. The, the problem I have with many vegans, and I speak to many vegan groups, is that if your only concern is moral, ethical, and spiritual, and health is not your driving force, I think you're doing yourself a disservice. Because the truth is, the best way that we can influence the planet to adopt vegan principles would be to set a good example, and that includes setting a good health example. And a vegan diet is only part of the answer to solving the health issues. It's the part where you get rid of the animal foods. You also have to address the chemicals, the oil, the sugar, the flour, and all the processed foods. Many vegans set a poor example because although they are morally, ethically, and spiritually clean because they don't use animal foods, they're compromising their own internal health by adopting uh, pleasure trap-based, highly processed foods. But the argument that I'm making to my patients is not 
this is the program that's going to get you into heaven. My argument is this is the program that's going to meet your own individual needs the best in terms of your health habits. If it also happens to help you morally, ethically, and spiritually, that's great. But from my viewpoint, that's a side effect because my primary focus is trying to help teach people one principle, that health results from healthful living. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that healthful living happens to involve avoiding animal products. And it just so happens that what you do to benefit your own personal health also happens to benefit the planet and the animals that we share the planet with. I don't even use the term plant-based diet because I'm saying it needs to be an exclusively plant food diet free of SOS in order to meet the standards that we're trying to set for optimum health and rejuvenation. So I'm using the terms I use not as a, as a, a slight to veganism. But, be, but because veganism connotes a different meaning than the meaning I'm trying to convey when I happen to discuss it politically. But I'm certainly proud to be a vegan. I've been a vegan since I was 16 years old. I decided to do a 50-year experiment with veganism at 16, and I will absolutely fulfill that, and then I'll reevaluate it. Can you talk about the progress in the plant-based movement and how it's kind of evolved? Because I've only been vegan four or five years, and I've noticed a huge shift in that time. Well, clearly there's been uh, a dynamic change. Part of it is economically driven. Once places like Costco and Walmart and traditional retail sources found that there's a demand for uh, organic or vegan food, of course, then they begin to promote it, which is, which is of course, good. Um, there's been uh, the people in the movement that are familiar with, uh, particularly vegan nutrition, have gained notoriety. So you have people like Neil Bernard and John McDougall and Dean Ornish, people like that, they're, uh, Joel Furman, they're getting, you know, massive media exposure and therefore being able to get that message out in a way that maybe wasn't possible, uh, before. Uh, there's been excellent video and books that have been written that, uh, make a very compelling argument, uh, for the science and the rationale and the philosophy behind it. Uh, so those materials maybe weren't uh, available, or at least not that quality of material available in the past. Uh, so now I think uh, any intelligent person that bothers to do their homework can uh, find a rather cogent argument uh, favoring a plant-based uh, diet and uh, the type of recommendations that are being made. So today we're in, I think, much better shape educationally. Uh, there's still a lot of forces of evil that would like to see uh, the status quo sustained. And so, you know, I'm not sure that uh, what the percentage changes might be in terms of how many people have actually adopted a vegan diet. But what I can say is that the ability to make that change is certainly better today than it might have been in the past. You said there are some forces of evil. That's quite conspiratorial. Well, I don't what think do it's mean conspiratorial at all. Economic. It's just that people want to give people what they want. And there's, they want to give you what you want, not necessarily what you need. The person that's marketing a product isn't thinking, well, what's in your best health interest? They're thinking, what do you want the most that you're willing to pay the most for and pay the most consistently? It's just like to say in restaurants, there's not a conspiracy against veganism in restaurants. They're just giving people what they ask. And if people ask for vegan meals, well, guess what? Pretty soon they start offering vegan meals because they don't care. They just want your money. And so we need to take responsibility to tell them what they need to do so we will give them our money, and then they will begin to modify. Why do you think Walmart is selling organic produce? Because people said they wanted to give them money if they would carry those products, and so they did. And the same thing is true with Costco. So we need to speak up and speak with our dollars. I don't think it's a conspiracy against veganism. It's just a conspiracy for economics. In terms of the low-carb doctors, um, I see them as a kind of threat to the movement 
because they provide so much misinformation. Bit of a controversial question coming up. You don't have to answer it. But do you think these people are misinformed or is it due to a lack of integrity? I think mostly it's well-intentioned, misguided people that are just so busy telling people what they want to hear that they don't really have time to actually investigate and figure out what the truth of the matter is. The reality is that there's a lot of people uh, that sometimes are well-intentioned, misguided idiots, and oftentimes they're in a position of power politically or involved in organizations that can be a real pain. Uh, and really disturbing. And it's not, and the part of the problem is it's not that they're evil people. They're just really stupid or really misguided. And as a consequence, they make decisions that are, that are unfortunate. There's also people that know full well what the truth is. But their own financial vested interests are so powerful that they really aren't willing to admit up to it. And so they make decisions, unfortunately. You know, I'll give you an example. You know, we have physicians in our community that refer their pay, their family to us that come in themselves, that participate, would never refer patients because they don't want to be seen as a quack referring people to alternative, you know, specialists, particularly specialists that are dependent on family practice referral for their business. They would maybe sublimate their, their advice uh, to patients to protect their business interests, even though personally, you know, they're committed to the to the facts. That type of hypocrisy happens not just in physicians, but also in politicians. It happens in businesses. It happens kind of throughout our society. And it's understandable, but it doesn't make it uh, desirable. And when you've got low-carb diets giving short, great short-term results, it kind of um, it's easy for them to sell their ideas. Well, also, the, the rationale would be, well, look, yeah, maybe the low-carb diet isn't really health-promoting, and maybe it isn't that good of a thing, but it's better than the alternative. And plus, it's what people want, and that's what they're willing to pay for. So as long as I'm doing somewhat less bad than what somebody else is doing, they'll pretend that being less bad is good. I don't right. think something less bad is good. It's still bad. It's just less bad. What we should do is have the integrity to tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. And um, who's going to tell the truth? Is it about grassroots activism, or is it about institutions uh, acting? Well, hopefully it's about all. It's about grassroots uh people getting involved in roles of leadership in institutions and then making the change. It's about people like Neil Bernard that are willing to stand up and, and um, do things so that politically, uh, you know, he's educating and influence uh, movers and shakers. It's people like Joel Furman and John McDougall getting into major media outlets and being able to tell their story and having it as part of the mix. It's about people like Dean Ornish publishing papers in major medical journals that influences physicians alike. It's about all of the people that are trying to educate uh, and inform not just the public, but also the health professionals uh, and even uh, the scientists. You know, and, and until there's credible data, a lot of people aren't going to be looking uh, to anecdotal stories. They want published credible uh, data to be able to convince them that what we're claiming to be true is true. But we've got loads of data. We've had loads of data for decades. Why don't more people know about this? Well, You're saying we need more data. Well, I think I'm we need more data and we need better data. And we need that data to be disseminated in, in uh, the places that have high degrees of credibility in terms of the major journals. And so, you know, this is a big task. It's a, it's a, big, uh, it's a big challenge. But when, it's, when that's accomplished, what you'll find happening is at least a percentage of physicians and other people will begin to shift over. Why aren't there more large randomized control trials uh, with a plant-based diet? Right. A lot of the powers that be that control how those large amounts of funding are spent have vested interests, in my opinion, particularly pharmaceutically-based interests. And so there's not that much interest yet uh, in investigating things that are not easily sold. And so the money that's there is about promoting some particular outcome. 
And we continue to vote people into political power that maybe aren't necessarily have our broad scale interests at heart. You know, they have their own interests and their own manipulations from the powers that be that tend to support them. So we certainly, I think we do have to start at a grassroots level. If nothing else, educating people that are going to act in our interests in terms of representing uh, what our long-term interests are in terms of health and health living, diet policy, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Can you just um, expatiate on the on the big pharma point you made and talk about the relationship between big business, big pharma, and how that's impacting us, the people, and our health? Well, I think a good example though is when people started to demand organic produce. Uh, then what happened was, and people realized they could make money providing that demand. You started seeing large scale organic farmers being going into production and feeding people like your Costco's and your your major outlets. I think that's a healthy development. Uh, because again, I don't think the conspiracy is against health or vegetarianism or anything. It's for money. So again, if we have good evidence that people are willing and are motivated to provide a demand for the products, I think the products will be provided. Are there any other barriers that you haven't mentioned? Yes. The biggest barrier is unfortunately the pleasure trap. The the hidden force that undermines health and happiness is the artificial stimulation of dopamine in the brain of human beings when they're exposed to either artificially concentrated sources of calories or drug-like effects. So people are literally addicted to the artificial stimulation of this pleasure neurochemistry in their brain. And as a consequence, when they stop taking drugs or drinking alcohol or stop smoking or stop using coffee or stop eating sugar, oil, and salt, they go through a withdrawal effect that's very uncomfortable. The healthiest diet for the vast majority of people is an exclusively plant food diet that eliminates sugar, including refined carbohydrates, oil, and salt that's derived exclusively from whole fruit, vegetables, grains, legumes, nuts, and seeds. That's the diet that people should be eating. Unfortunately, it's not the common or popular diet. And so trying to adopt that diet in a world that seems more designed to make you fat, sick, and miserable is a great challenge. You're an expert on fasting. Um, At what point do you say a whole food plant-based diet isn't going to do the job? Come over to my clinic. Well, we're a clinic that services a lot of the whole food plant-based diet doctors. In other words, they put people on these diets, and the vast majority of them do fabulously well. But once in a while, a person has a problem with their blood pressure, despite good dietary change, isn't coming down quickly enough, or they still have some autoimmune-related symptoms, or they develop a condition like lymphoma. And then those doctors will send us those patients for kind of the turn up the heat a little bit. We use long-term water-only fasting and a very strict version of an exclusively plant food SOS-free diet. And for then, for a significant percentage of those people, that's enough to do the trick. Not everybody necessarily has to do all of those things in order to stay well. But we believe that, for at least for the people that a plant food diet alone isn't enough, that's a good option. Or for people that are really interested in maximizing uh, the, re- the rejuvenative effects that are potential, reversing the aging processes, trying to maximize this, this may be that extra little niche that can be of help to them. Does fasting help the compliance? So if you said to somebody, hey, you should go on a whole food plant-based diet for your health, if you got them to fast first, would that help them uh, keep to the diet that you recommend? Well, on many levels, fasting does seem to help. Taste, neuro- taste neuroadaptation is one of those examples where good foods taste um, not good to people when they're addicted to the pleasure trap. And if you take salt, for example, it takes about 30 days on a low-salt diet for people on average to neuroadapt to a low-salt diet. But on fasting, it happens very quickly. So by the time you're done fasting, now they can actually taste the natural sodium in chard. And they like it. 
Whereas before, it doesn't have much taste. They're not, they're, they've got such a perverted palate that they can't really enjoy the subtle but very wonderful flavors of whole natural foods. After fasting, most people experience whole natural foods as being very uh, delightful. Now, if they go back to the artificial stimulation of the drug-like chemicals added to their food, eventually they'll get addicted again and lose their desire. In fact, it's one of the ways you can tell if a person needs to fast. If good foods don't taste good to them, they may need to fast. Absolutely. So if good foods taste good, then they can eat those good foods and the body heals itself. And if they do it long enough, they get well. For example, fat. And, um, if you're on a high-fat diet, it takes about three months to do neuroadapt to a low-fat diet. That process happens much quicker in fasting. And it's hard to get people to comply if they aren't being satisfied with their food. So their fasting is, has, has a useful tool. Also, when people are in pain and not sleeping well and not feeling well, it's hard to put the extra effort into dealing in a society designed to make you fat, sick, and miserable and overcome those challenges. When people feel good, they can put up more with some of the challenges that they inevitably face living in this world that's not set up to support us being healthy vegans. When you say uh, society is designed to make you, make you fat, sick, and, and Yes, unhealthy. by giving you what you want, not what you need. And what you want is as much stimulation to dopamine as you can get as easily as possible. Because the motivational triad of human beings is pleasure-seeking, pain avoidance, and energy conservation. So you want to get as much pleasure with as little pain and as little effort as possible, and that's how you're programmed. You can override it volitionally because you have volitional consciousness as a human, but it does take energy. And if you don't have any energy because you're fat, sick, and miserable from your diet, you're unlikely to take the actions necessary to be successful. Can you talk about, we've talked about the progress a little bit, but can you talk about the progress specifically in the last sort of year or two? In 2014, Kaiser Permanente got involved. In 2015, there was a big article out, I can't remember in which journal, and the World Health Organization came out saying red and processed meat is as carcinogenic as tobacco smoking. Have there been any events that really stand out to you uh, in the last sort of 12 months that really give you hope? Well, I tell you, just personally, I was tremendously pleased when the British Medical Journal agreed to publish a case report from us in the treatment of lymphoma with the use of fasting and a vegan, exclusively plant food, SOS-free diet. So um, the fact that a uh, major medical journal was even willing to tolerate putting that information including a very detailed description I mentioned of exactly the diet that we we're recommending and was used by this patient in their journal is an encouraging change. Uh, in the past, uh, you know, that may not have happened. Uh, we have a number of articles right now uh, in the shoot, so to speak, uh, and we'll see how successful we are at getting them published, but it may very well be there is a change that's occurring. Um, it's hard to quantify those changes, um, but there's no question that the quality of the leadership uh, in this health-promoting kind of environment is continuing to increase as we attract more and more uh, bigger, brighter, better folks into the movement, both quantity and quality. And hopefully the net effect of that's going to be profound to where we can get a significant percentage of the population at least sympathetic to the idea that this might be a good concept. Honestly, though, do you think change is happening quickly enough? No, change is not happening uh, quickly enough because, I mean, literally the survival of the planet probably is at stake. And if not the planet, at least the ability of humans to live on the planet. And I think one of the most important things that you could do uh, is likely to adopt these things that actually benefit you, your internal health. Those same behaviors are likely to be the same behaviors that are going to help our external environment uh, equally. So I think there is some urgency uh, to it. But, you know, like anything, you go as quick as you can go. You said there's some urgency to it. What do you think the biggest threat to the movement is? We've kind of talked about some of the barriers, but if you were to kind of pick, if you can't think of one, maybe a couple of, of, 
of threats to the movement, what would they be? Well, I think actually one of the threats to the movement is actually its success. As the basic uh, kind of extreme principles become accepted and get kind of watered down and diluted in becoming mainstream, it tends to lead people to think that kind of a halfway effort might be good enough. In my practice, I see the people that the halfway approaches or the partial attempts are not successful, so I have a bias. I'm used to seeing the people, they've done their best, but it's not good enough. And so I tend to naturally think that you have to do it to the full extent that we recommend it in order for it to work. That may not be the case. Maybe there's millions of people out there doing great with less stringent and less severe aversion. That's just not my world. The 60 people I have under care at the True North Health Center at one time are almost all people that are either were sick and wanting to get well, they're well or, and they're wanting to stay that way, but they're trying to maximize their health potential. And clearly, that extra little bit makes a big difference, both to the very sick and the very well. What you're doing is going against the grain in many ways, um, both with the, the plant-based aspect of it and with the fasting. Have you received any backlash for what you promote? Well, there was a time where we had criminal defense attorney on retainer. So, I mean, you know, there's no question that what we do, particularly when we talk about um, fasting, um, you know, it was considered, you know, really outrageous. Now, it's, I've gone from a criminal quack to being a cutting-edge researcher because it's turning out that, you know, we're getting more stuff published and they're starting to find out there's some utility to these things. As far as the diet, you know, the, the problems, I, I don't have problems recommending a health-promoting diet to patients. I don't get bad feedback from that, in part because people like the gentleman that we've mentioned have made this much more popular and accepted. People like Ornish publishing in journals, people like Neil Bernard getting these uh, impacts uh, affected publicly, people like John McDougall and Joel Furman and others reaching the public through mass media have made it so that people like me can recommend person eat a healthy diet and not feel like we're going to lose our license or something as a consequence of those recommendations. Right now I think we're facing that same kind of transition with fasting. The use of fasting is still considered a pretty radical uh, process. And we're working hard to publish data. We've just finished publishing what's called the fasting safety study that's in review right now that shows that fasting can be done safely and effectively when it's done according to protocol. And so hopefully we'll get the same benefits with fasting that we're seeing with a vegan diet uh, as we go as we go forward here. Your role model to role model to so so many people. Who are your role models? Well my heroes include people like T. Colin Campbell. Uh, Dr. Campbell who's a professor at Cornell who has you know, absolutely pioneered the concept of uh, the importance of a plant-based nutrition in his best-selling books, The China Study, which is excellent, and, and more recently in Whole, uh, with the research that he's published, hundreds of papers in the scientific literature, the most important of which were a couple studies he did with us in helping get our papers published on medically supervised water-only fasting and the treatment of hypertension. Um, I can't say enough about how uh, helpful and inspiring um, he is, uh, and motivating, uh, he has been uh, uh, to me. And all of the doctors that we've, we've already talked about, you know, have been willing to stand up and face their peers and face the public and get that message out and do it in such an articulate way. I think that's been uh, very helpful. Uh, the people that are on the staff at the True North Health Center, we have people like Michael Clapper, who's been fighting this fight for 40 years, was really one of the first people to get out there and talk publicly about the importance of, of a health-promoting diet, particularly a vegan diet. And, and, and uh, you know, he's fabulous, and he's one of the doctors with us. Uh, more recently, Anthony Lim, who's also the medical director for John McDougall, his program also serves in our staff. 
Um, Tasha Myers, who's the director of research at the Truman Health Center, who's a you know hardcore conventional scientist who stepped up and you know certainly uh, probably crushed any career she might have in conventional uh, research, but is working for us and doing a fabulous job at helping us get paper, papers published. There's so many people that are doing a good job now at really getting the word out. Lastly, um, thanks for your time, by the way. Really, really appreciate pleasure. it. Um, I've seen you in a few documentary trailers, namely, uh, I think, Eating Your Life and What the Health. Are you excited for these? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm real anxious to see what the health is going to do. I think, you know, I saw some of the material that came out with that. I, I'm really excited that that might be, you know, one more really fabulous outcome, much like Forks Over Knives has reached so many people. Do you get, I mean, I'm going to put this up. We've got two cameras here. I'm going to put this up unedited pretty much. I, do you ever get worried about how they're going to edit it? Because I, I presume the pre, I presume they interview you for like over an hour, and they probably only take a few seconds. I, I think, uh, however they do it, I think it's a good thing. You know, I always try to say what I believe and believe what I say. And so, however they want to manipulate it around, you know, I think if their intention is to tell the truth, it's going to be fine. Sure. If people want to make you say things that don't reflect what you believe, I'm sure it's possible to do that nowadays. And that's why I always. You know, just take it with a grain of kelp. It's like, you know. They got good intentions yeah. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for the interview. I really, oh, really appreciate pleasure. it. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks a lot.